This is Republic of INSEAD, the 20 years later O3D podcast edition. I am Milena Ivanova and will be your host in this limited series. So, here we are, 20 years later, hopefully all the wiser, naturally smarter and as charming as ever. There were 432 of us in the O3D vintage. And certainly, there are 432 unique and very interesting personal and professional stories to tell. While I cannot physically cover all, I have tried to make a selection of stories that will keep you interested and curious and will hopefully convince you to join us on campus for reunion. Welcome to the Republic of INSEAD podcast edition and enjoy the show. Hello, people! I figure the format here may be becoming a bit too predictable, so today we'll mix things up a bit. I have a surprise and it comes in twos. Well, I figure summer is finally upon those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere, and we may just as well pay a bit more attention to the travel and entertainment side of life. So, shall we? And since by now you're too used to me quoting from the yearbook, I'm changing tack. My guests today are a she and a he, and may I ask him to start by reading out her 20-year-old entry in the yearbook, please. With pleasure, Milena. Always impeccably dressed and with a witty comeback and a well-elaborated, or downright long, opinion to share with her class, few can match this tall, blonde beauty's style, elegance, intelligence, and poise. She is known for setting new records and running marathons and deceiving innocent Septemberers as a Renaissance woman. But her true strengths have shown themselves in the fostering of cross-border relations, forming a Canadian-Swiss-Italian union within weeks of arriving in Fonti, and now looking to set up residence in tax havens such as Monaco to leverage her newly honed skills from her MBA and her advertising background. Yeah, right. It has truly proven to be a productive year for this international woman of mystery. Her constant grace and wisdom in moments of stress and crisis provide a haven for the likes of us who have been lucky to, lucky enough to get to know her. Here we go. And now the Renaissance woman, may I ask you to please read his entry? Dying, loved that. I hadn't heard that for a very long time. Um, my guest here... Uh, I don't think will be a hard one to guess, but here's here we go. He's sophisticated, stylish, and at the heart of the INSEAD social set. But don't be fooled by the poster boy image. This man about town is a dean's favorite. At the center of every party, he is the quintessential social rep. With his New York attitude, this Canadian honger is truly connected with access to holiday homes around the globe, from Marrakesh to Mejev. It is thought he supports his jet-setting lifestyle partly through creative management of the E6 candy budget. One of life's little mysteries is how he manages to get top grades, party up a storm, shop till he drops, and travel the globe while never forgetting his friends. The instigator of many section pranks, it is thanks to the efforts of our remarkably social social rep that E6 enjoys their party reputation. Yep, and so we were in E6. Uh, welcome to both of you. Very happy to have you. And if people haven't yet figured it out, I'm sure they will be figuring it out very soon, who my guests are. 
great pleasure. I must say that Hong Konger is currently in Europe, which made it easier for us because otherwise it was Hong Kong, Europe, LA. And that was a bit of a, yeah, causing a bit of a logistical jam. So there you go. Let me shut up and let them speak and tell us where they've been the last 20 years and what they've been up to, whoever likes to start. Let the man of mystery start, shall we? Man, it's not so much a mystery. But um, no, so after having graduated in SEAD, I followed the very traditional path, corporate path of joining American Express in their you know, strategic planning group, which is the, you know, the boot camp for former management consultants, which began actually my career in, in marketing, which is something that I wanted to get into post INSEAD. Uh, so upon leaving the strategic planning group, I joined the, the operational business at Amex, managing the Centurion, Platinum and Gold Card portfolios for them internationally, which was the beginning of my kind of marketing career. Uh, and doing kind of real work uh, as opposed to being a management consultant. No, no insult to the management consultants listening. But having after after working at Amex for about three, three and a half years, I joined the glamorous world of real estate development with the Candy Brothers in uh, in London for my sins. And after having you know worked in real estate for a couple of years, realized that it probably wasn't. Um, my cup of tea because it's quite a kind of doggy dog industry, but was lucky enough to then be be taken in as the the global marketing director for De Beers Diamond Jewelers, which is an LVMH company, uh, which was really a amazing kind of training ground because you know if anyone knows how to do luxury branding and marketing, it's LVMH. So did that for about uh, three years in uh, in London, kind of, but spending every month pretty much uh, flying to Asia, be it Hong Kong, be it Tokyo, be it uh, China, because you know at uh, in the 20, 2009, 2010 period, the, the the heart of the luxury industry was really happening in Asia. So after having racked up many, many miles crossing from Europe to Asia, I decided to do something that I didn't think I wanted to do, which was move back to Asia. So with that in mind, I was lucky enough to have gotten a job with Peninsula Hotels um, in Asia and having not had any hotel experience. I was very, very fortunate that, you know, the COO took a chance on me and decided to give me a, a, a chance to work in the hotel industry. First, actually, he made me work in a hotel for uh, a, uh, nine months, where I was the I was the head of marketing for one of their, their new hotel in Shanghai. So I got a chance to live and work in China. But more importantly, I got to learn all about the hotel business from the inside of a hotel, you know. And when I when I first joined it, I when I first was going into the hotel industry, I thought, oh, you know, I stay in hotels all the time. I totally know what goes on. But no, <laughs> um, mornings I was with housekeeping, I was with banqueting, I was with kitchens, I was with stewarding. All these functions I didn't even know existed in a hotel. Um, in the afternoon, I did my job. But um, so it was a bit of a hotel school in, um, you know, in, in six months that I, I got to do. 
But luckily, uh, after six six to eight months inside the hotel, you know, he brought me back to the home office in Hong Kong, where I then took over the the global marketing function uh, for for that hotel group, and you know, worked there for six years, uh, which was really one of my you know, the the best experiences ever. You know, working with a kind of a really well-known heritage brand and being able to kind of expand them into Europe, being able to modernize them. But the one thing with Peninsula is that they weren't, you know, the most dynamic and most kind of fast-growing companies out there. You know, they're finally opening the hotels that I announced six years ago. So after six years with Peninsula, I was lucky enough to to join Rosewood Hotel and Resorts, which was another Hong Kong-based hotel group. And, you know, at that time, they were, you know, at the beginning of their journey to, to take over the world, you know, led by, you know, a 38-year-old uh, woman, oh, you know, wow. brilliant leader, you know, albeit with a billion dollars behind her. <laughs> but uh, you know, we we took that brand really from quite a small niche brand, um, you know, well known in the U.S. but not very well in Asia. But in two years, we opened, I think, fifteen hotels, which is double, almost get, increasing the footprint by about fifty percent, which was an amazing experience because it really was, and they really are kind of the the brand of the moment. Uh, and we had to do kind of everything to to really set them up, both in Asia and around the world. But, you know, as these things go, you know, it, it really did take a toll on my, my on me, uh, you know, working 90 hour weeks for two, two and a half years straight it took a toll on me. And then actually I, I made a, a very kind of bold and, you know, in retrospect, wise decision to resign at the end of 2019, actually. And my last day was end of January 2020. Which, if you think back, was very good timing. So, literally, as Hong Kong started selling out of masks, I I decided to go to New Zealand on the beginning of my sabbatical year. You know, the sabbatical year didn't turn out exactly as I thought it was going to be. Uh, so, I quickly kind of hurried back to Hong Kong as the um, as the pandemic spread around the world, and in the last kind of three years, I have actually set up a small kind of branding and ma- uh, and marketing consultancy, you know, and also working on various um, kind of nonprofit and uh, pro bono work, which has been kind of my journey to date. Great. And how about she? What a, what a story to follow. So leaving INSEAD on my side, I had, you know, all these uh, expectations that the INSEAD connection would help me find, you know, the job at LVMH or, you know, something. And I, and unfortunately, that wasn't my case. um, But I was able to land a job back in the UK at Vodafone, in the group global function, um, which ended up being far more creative than I actually thought it would be. And I had some some great opportunities, including spending some time in Tokyo, uh, integrating what we had bought J-Phone, so integrating that into the Vodafone uh, sort of stable. But it was really a sort of brand and uh, customer experience role. 
But being in group, one of the learnings I uh, learned early on there was you really have to, if, if you want to make change, you have to figure out how the actual organization is structured. And the group was, was not where the power sat for Vodafone. So after two years, I realized that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I was lucky enough, um, my former client at Nike uh, was running Gap EMEA and called me up and said, hey, I know you've always wanted to get into fashion. How about coming and doing the job of actually developing um, the new strategy for Gap in Europe where we are actually bringing in a design team to design for the Gap? We want to redo the stores, redo the whole sort of brand in Europe. And that was a fantastic opportunity. Again, very disruptor, a little bit under the radar from the big US team. And actually, we started getting people across the globe in, you know, in Asia and other places to try to actually in New York to buy off the European line, which was really fun and work with some amazing creatives there. But retail being as it is, the margins are pretty thin. And they decided after a couple of years that it was time to bring the design back to the US and offered me a role there, but I wasn't ready to go to the US. So I started looking again and there was an interim position in Sydney where again, uh, there, there was an upcoming merger between Vodafone and the brand three. So they needed someone to be a general manager for the brand and try and integrate those two companies over there. So I went over to Sydney less than a year and actually realized the real fun of Vodafone was being in the operating companies at a local level. So when I was offered a role to go and, and run brand marketing for the UK, I took that, moved back to London again. And there's a little bit of a <laughs> story there. I've actually counted, Milena asked us to count how many countries and addresses we had. So we'll, we'll get to that one. <laughs> So came back to the UK, ran all of marketing there, reporting into a fantastic CEO and had a, had a brilliant time until the moment where I was in a Starbucks getting my morning coffee and met this amazing woman who was the then president of Starbucks EMEA. And, and we ended up having this amazing sort of connection, conversation about what they were trying to do for Starbucks across EMEA and would I come and be her CMO. And it was one of those things where I've, I've always believed that you need to look and in, in, inside yourself and figure out will you regret saying no to this one? And this was just one of those ones where I said, yeah, I, this one is something I have to do and had a brilliant time there working with this woman, Michelle Goss, who's now CEO of Levi's, but she she was a real uh, innovator as well. And I don't know if they're still doing it across EMEA, but w I came up with this idea of having a seasonal espresso because, in my opinion, it was really hideous to drink the Starbucks espresso. So the whole seasonality of, you know, different coffees. Um, and so launched that across EMEA, worked on the opening of drive throughs and stores in Riyadh, uh, the first store in Oslo, you know, having some some real fun doing all of that and it was 
February of 2014, and my husband was then uh, running sales for Microsoft in the UK, and he got the offer uh, to go over to LA to run the West Coast sales team for Microsoft. And for those of you who spent winters in Europe, you know, when the son, son of LA calls, it was a pretty hard one to say no to. I was also at the time commuting between London and Amsterdam, which was where my job ended up moving to at Starbucks. And that, for those of you who've done those commutes, it's pretty hard. After about a year, you start to sort of, I actually still am nauseous at the smell of Schiphol because I was in there at sort of 7 a.m. on Mondays, you know, getting my flights. Anyway, so he, we decided we'd move to LA. Uh, he was very worried I would spend my time doing yoga on the beach and not really working. And he knows that when I'm not working, I'm not a lot of fun. Uh, I have far too much energy and you know points of view as raw as as we talked about before. <coughs> and so I was updating my LinkedIn profile, and a little bug of Netflix came up, and I thought, you know. I'll apply there. Why not? Sounds like an interesting mix of tech with entertainment and have always loved entertainment. And lo and behold, got a call. Um, so took it, I actually took a step backwards role-wise, but it felt like the right thing to do because it felt like a really smart, humble group of people that were trying to do things really differently. And that began my almost nine year journey at Netflix that again started in LA doing more of a global role figuring out expansion at the time there were 2000 people at the company fast forward i left last summer and we were 12000 people in mia after doing you know LA for a bit they realized hey this person has uh, a lot of emia experience and the EMEA territory is going to be huge for us. We're going to start, you know, developing content over there. And we need someone who actually knows, you know, that they do speak Italian in Switzerland, despite what some of the engineers in Los Gatos seem to believe. <laughs> so Reed Hastings, our CEO, asked me if I would move back to Amsterdam which my husband cried uh, when he heard he, he after... If any of you know my husband, you'll know sort of he's a he's a Londoner. And within three months of living in L.A., he started saying, dude, which was really quite funny, driving a big SUV around town. But anyway, so he he cried. He did not want to go back to Europe, but it was one of those opportunities. Again, we knew we would regret. So we went back there. I ran EMEA over there. I was the sort of de facto general manager for Netflix EMEA and grew revenue there, opened up across EMEA, grew revenue sixfold. Um, and by the time I left, we were a $10 billion revenue business just in EMEA. And we caught up subscription-wise to the US, which was a point of, of uh, <laughs> much you know, celebration on our end, given you know, the centricity sometimes of Hollywood entertainment. And also, you know, created content from across EMEA, which was a global platform for people to learn about the cultures and actually get a little bit of education too, which was something that helped me get out of bed every morning and give the you know, high performance that was expected was just the, the level of opening people's minds that Netflix has had the ability to do. Anyway, and then 
yeah, uh, went from Amsterdam, convinced management that actually I should spend some time in some of our smaller offices. So managed to get them to move me to Rome. So I spent the last two years in Rome, the start of which were in pandemic, which was also interesting, um, but definitely some upside being able to see some of the beauty of Rome without all the tourists. And then decided the journey was coming to an end. I really wanted to come back to LA from a lifestyle perspective, as did my husband. So we left Netflix last summer, moved to LA, and I am now looking at my next journey and doing some advising, um, but basically a lot of networking. There you go. So now everyone knows that what, why we want to talk about entertainment and marketing and travel, and they're all topics that are very suitable to the summer. Let's talk travel and entertainment first and then marketing. So whoever wants to start with the future or the recent trends in your chosen industry or field there. It's actually quite funny, actually, because if you look at, at travel and entertainment, we've gone through a boom and a bust exactly in inverse order, right? During COVID, no one wanted to be in a hotel company or in the world of travel. Like we had a world of pain and I was patting myself on the back for getting out of it. Uh, but of, And of course, you know, um, the world of entertainment was, you know, it, you know, everyone's saving grace, right? Uh, and saw and and saved us for many, for many hours of, you know, boredom and uh, and quarantine. Of course, now that the world is is open again, you know, the the travel companies and the world of travel is is booming and it's going crazy. Uh, not exactly the way it was before, but um, so it's quite interesting, actually, the, the, you know, the counter cyclicality of our two industries. But, but I do think that, you know, on a steady state, you know, I think, you know, these worlds coexist very, very well together. And actually, and I was actually remembering, you know, harassing my, my, my co-guest, <laughs> who shall remain nameless for now, uh, saying, hey, we need to partner. <laughs> we need to do something together. Because I think, you know, the, you know, the, the world of, you know, travel and entertainment do, do mix very, very well together, um, as evidenced by the White Lotus, right, and how everyone's inspired. I think the Four Seasons um, Taramina has been booked up for a year and a half out just with American guests. They stole our idea. Came <laughs> <laughs> to fame was I was there like right after they filmed, but luckily before it had aired. And I do recommend Taramina is unbelievable as a place to go visit, as is all of Sicily. Mm. Yeah, the interesting uh, thing as well, as my co-host was mentioning, is the uh, we had to figure out because it was great for watching as a consumer, but we still had to figure out, you know, how do we, for things that we had already filmed, how do we go into dubbing, you know, where we're actually asking people again to, you know, come into a studio in the past and actually dub over for all the different 
languages we have available on Netflix and figuring out how to set that up at home for the talent that was doing all the dubbing and figuring that out was, was I mean, it was so much fun just having the opportunity as, as everything else was really quite hideous going on in the world, but trying to understand how the technology could support this. And I think that was been what's so much fun about Netflix was just the tech forward mindset of it and same thing for the filming of it because it would have been you know fine to have all the stuff that had already been filmed but all you know there could have been a real gap in what was available so figuring that out but but as we're saying I mean the 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 intersectionality of you know opening people's minds whether it's via travel or telling stories from around the world and really you know I think Netflix allowed people to travel when they couldn't. And we heard so much from people saying like, thank goodness, you know, that we had that option. It did also mean that our stock price went up quite high because people just didn't expect us to be able to be able to do that. And I would say the other, the other trend at least that we've been seeing, which is interesting is going from, you know, the, the flat screen to, the, where entertainment is going as far as gaming and the truly immersive piece, um, which I think, you know, all of the big players are are figuring out and getting into gaming because, again, at some point, those are going to be far closer than they currently are and IP rights, right? And then you've got the whole area of sports, you know, how does streaming and sports rights go together? How do you make that economically worthwhile? So it's a super interesting space to be in. And certainly sitting here in the US, there are far too many streaming mm. platforms out there. And I think from a consumer perspective, it's going to be very interesting to watch how that plays out because I think, you know, people just don't, consumers at the end of the day are lazy, right? And they don't want so much choice out there. So I think it will be interesting to see what happens. I was going to say that, you know, there's nothing like a crisis, right? To, to force people to, to pivot and change, right? And I think we in the travel industry have had to do that, right? During the pandemic, you know, all of a sudden we're like, okay, forget traveling, staycations, everybody. You know, and of course, you know, the, you know, while everyone was working from home, you had a whole new generation of, you know, digital professional nomads that were born. And then the, the, you know, the world of business travel took on a whole different meaning because you're actually, you know, going for months, right? And, 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 and so hotel companies that managed to actually pivot quickly and managed to react to, you know, changing lifestyles and the changing, you know, world uh were the ones who were successful right and of course the thing right now is that everything changes so quickly and believe me actually the hotels industry in general is not one for fast changes right they are you know they like things organized they like things proper and 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 and, and prepared so you know so it's it'll it's interesting kind of what this current crisis with the world of you know with with the world of entertainment you know what that will force what changes that will force in 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 those companies that will end up being successful? And obviously, Netflix, you know, had been one of the early pioneers of pivoting and changing and you know starting new formats. So we pivoted probably every six months, and with that came you know a reorg probably at least you know at least once a year, if not more, um, and figuring out you know okay, so what skill set do we need from our team now? 
Um, and it was fascinating. I mean, it was 20 jobs in nine years for me, you know, but as you say, it, it does exhaust and I'm really enjoying the little bit of a downtime now and just sort of detox time. So if I may, a question to each of you on, on the entertainment side, AI and, and the whole, how is this changing? Obviously now we still have the strike of the screenwriters and then are the artists going to be on strike, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what is happening there in fact? And are we going to be seeing films that are, or content that's totally AI created? So, so, I mean, there's right. I mean, again, I wouldn't like, we have some, um, you had some amazing guests on here and I think someone like Ollie is probably far more skilled at talking about, you know, AI than I ever could be. But, you know, there's generative AI and then there's AI and Netflix has been using AI for, since we started the service, right? All, all it did was that was what gave you the recommendations and it's a learning engine, right, to to do that. So this hype on, you know, chat GPT, et cetera, is much more around generative AI than, than AI because AI has been around for a while. Um, and I love the I love the insights from some of your previous podcasts around it, like what that means for biotech and all of that um, because, you know, there is a lot of hype out there. So I would say that that on the side and, and in marketing, even there was a time, I think it was about two, three years ago, where, where they did an AI generated um, car ad. Right. And it was all that, oh, it's going to be replaced and all and all of that. And I think, again, you know, there were I think people said the same about TV, about cars, about everything. You know, there there may be some functions that change um, and actually just get better because of some of the sort of work that is not so intelligence based, but is more, you know, pattern or um, repetitive. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that work anyway. So, but I'm in a, I know I'm, I come from a place of privilege on the things that I'm doing. So uh, I can only speak from that side, that perspective. No, I, I totally agree. On travel, what I was told by a friend who's been running hotels for the last 30 years is that the future of hotels is there will be two types of hotels, once with people and once without people. As you enter, you help yourself. Yeah. So where do you, what do you see there or what, yeah, your comments? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely, you know, the beginnings and, and actually you see that a lot in China, the, you know, the personless hotel right the ones that are we have a robot cleaning your room you do self-check-in you know obviously the other commonality we have you know in on this podcast is we're also kind of you know it started as the future of luxury right we wanted to talk about that so that's not the world i'm in <laughs> so people can yes there will be those who are the self-service hotels and 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 i think you know both ai also kind of you know, robotics and, 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 and all of that will make one kind of travel more, more easy. But I think actually it will, every trend inspires a counter trend, I believe. And so we will soon crave human contact and we will soon crave, you know, personality and senses of humor. And if you think about your best holidays, what, what do you remember? Now, you don't remember actually the robot cleaning your room really well, right? And, and you remember, you know, the concierge giving you that really, you know, 
insightful, thoughtful kind of insider recommendation for that jewelry store around the corner in Taramina, right? You remember a person cooking you a, you know, a delicious plate of pasta, right? You know, and I think actually in, in, in the world of travel, you know, AI in some ways will make a big impact, but in some ways actually will, especially at the higher end, make, you know, you know, not actually make that much of a difference. I don't think, you know, marketeers have necessarily that much to worry about because you still need someone with a point of view, someone with that can connect the dots, someone that can develop a kind of a 360 kind of kind of campaign to, to, to bring it all together. And I would add like marketing has actually already gone through a massive change with media buying as an example, right? So programmatic, there used to be a time where you'd segment your audiences, you'd figure out what you were going to spend on each audience, you'd go out, figure out where those platforms were, those hard media were, whereas, you know, AI changed everything. And that was, I mean, at least Netflix eight years plus ago, seven years, where we started, you know, you actually decide what your cost per acquisition is, and then you start going and figuring out the next best acquisition. And and segmentation was really important from a positioning perspective, but not necessarily on the media buying, right? And Facebook changed a lot of that, made it super easy to do that based on, you know, campaign metrics that you're going after, and we got to the point where we actually didn't even ring fence country budgets for the programmatic, you know, acquisition part of it. And we had a global budget and it would just crawl around and be like, OK, where are we going to find the next best acquisition for it? But you still need people sitting there deciding what you're optimizing on, what your priorities are, you know, where actually are you going to, you know, what is what what is Netflix going to be famous for in Saudi versus in Norway, right? And those aren't the same thing because people aren't the same uh, and their tastes are not the same either. So marketing, marketing, marketing. Let's talk marketing then and branding. What would be the top three learnings for each of you on marketing and ultimately what makes a great marketeer, if I may use this respect? You want me to go first, give you a little thinking time, my friend? You go ahead. I, 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 I always listen to you anyway, so you're my marketing guru. So, yes, please go ahead. Uh, and I'm probably going to be a little controversial, which is, I think, well, everything that a company does is marketing and branding, right? And so... Hallelujah. <laughs> this advent of CMO to CEO starting to pick up speed is pretty prevalent, because I think people who are trained in the marketing world also understand how important customer experience is. I used to joke that I'd said I would, I would give my marketing budget to uh, the customer service team because there's nothing worse than getting someone to like your brand, love your brand, come in and then have a really shit customer experience. It's going to cost three times more to get them back after they have that or more or they'll never come back. So I'd say that sort of first and foremost, and certainly doing more of a GM kind of role for Netflix, true, you know, across the board, there's internal brand experience, there's external brand experience, you got to keep your employees super, you know, tapped into what the vision is and all of that. And that's all at the end of the day, that's branding and marketing. But again, I am biased, of course. 
What else I would say, uh, something that my co-guest mentioned before, uh, I think is absolutely true, which is word of mouth recommendations, no matter how much, you know, push marketing you get out there, having someone, you know, or someone you trust recommend is worth more than the weight of gold. So something that I've held true over the years is, you know, always earn before you buy. So get as many sort of recommendations, however, and that's obviously the advent of influencer marketing and everything else, which also is often bought, but true, you know, true earned media, um, whether through PR or otherwise, I'd say is always your first point of call before you start buying um, impressions. And third, I would say um, the further upstream that you can get to influence, whether, you know, in the form of a CEO or influencing um, people. And I think, you know, there's there's also a rise of, of wanting people who have branding and marketing experience on boards, whereas it used to be a lot of, you know, finance and tech. Um, people understand that slightly more 360 view of stuff, not that IT and finance don't, but there is something about, as, as my guest mentioned, you know, being in the trenches, and somehow marketing always ends up taking all the other stuff, you know, <laughs> and you end up doing it. So I think that those would be my three. I'm sure I'll think of more later and I'll ping Milena on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't, I think I, I, I completely agree with what my, my co-guest was saying. And, and don't forget, I also live in Asia. I've been working and living in Asia for the last 10 years. So you know, the view of marketing and branding is even further behind than the rest of the world. So, you know, what marketing and branding isn't, let me start with it, is not advertising, just is not brochures, it's not logos. It is exactly as, 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 um, you know, my co-guest was saying, it is actually everything, right? And I think that was what I enjoyed about my, my role at Peninsula so much because we owned all the hotels. So it was everything from what we were communicating down to what the customer experience on property, right? And and I think, you know, and I do, and I, I, yeah, we are very biased, but I do think, you know, brand, like with a big B, is everything, right? It is the complete kind of you know, it's all the interactions that a consumer has with 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 the organization, right? And it's not just the ads; it's not just what you say above the line. It's also how they experience it, what, what they feel, right? So, you know, and I think, you know, especially in 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 the U.S. and in Europe, I think companies are beginning, you know, they realize that, and it's slowly coming across in Asia. Now, and I think I was very lucky in that, you know. At Rosewood, I think Sonia really believed also kind of in, in in the brand, right? And I think, you know, I think the the all encompassing nature of of kind of marketing and branding really is is an important. I think there is also a, you know, I think there is also a very kind of numbers or, and data oriented um, nature in marketing. A lot of people think it's just kind of fluffy, you know billboards that no one can measure, but actually, you know, being a very data-driven marketeer has served both, you know, my co-guests and me very, very well, right? Because there are hard numbers, even for PR, right? Even for, you know, social, which are things that don't necessarily traditionally get thought of as, you know, being very serious, you know, you know, have a, have a measurable bottom line, right? And I think, 
and I think more and more people are, um, are are realizing that. And I think as more kind of our lives get more digital and more online or, or on mobile, like it's it's very easy to see, you know. And I think people are now starting also. I think the key to kind of you know great great you know marketing is, is being it's it's just very it's actually a very basic concept, right? It's really about customer centricity, right? It's you know. And as fancy as you want to get, you always just need to think about your consumer and your customer, right? And how are they going to react? What what are their lives like? What's you know how are they going to consume the information you're trying to communicate to them? How are they going to consume your product or your service? You know, and I think the best companies, the best you know, the best brands really are those that kind of keep this in mind there's a lot of times we talk to you know we talk to consumers the way we think about our company or what we're doing we don't actually think about we don't talk to them the way they're gonna take that information or they you know what what context they're in so i think you know in some ways the future is the past (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and i think you know we're all kind of craving kind of someone to really talk to us like individuals right who you know so with a sense of humor. Exactly. Two, two Never questions take there. Too seriously. Absolutely. Two questions there. Uh, influencer marketing. Is it for real? As in, is it here to stay? I hate tweets. It evolves, right? It defines. People people get smarter. They learn, you know, what's sponsored, what's not. There are more and more regulation around the need to actually disclose things that are actually sponsored posts that they're getting paid for. We had a lot of debates on do you ever, you know, early days, do you actually ever pay for influencers? But look at look at Mr. Beast. It's real, right? There are there are eyeballs to be captured. But again, you know, there's no one size fits all for anything and everything evolves. And so just being making sure you're understanding how that is evolving, I think is key to a marketer or someone running a company is understanding where, where does that actually help and where actually the, the, the newest advent, right, is, is influencers who turn on products or services. And, you know, that's, that's real as well. Yeah, and I think um, you know, I think it's always important going back to this cons- consumer centricity point. Is also respecting your consumer, right? They're not dumb, right? They, you know, and I think, you know, authenticity is never a a bad value to have, right? So, you know, I think especially in luxury, like in the early days, I would say we never paid, right, for for influencers, right? We would sponsor, we would provide things for free which is kind of obviously not necessarily paid, but, but we also, you know, made sure that you select the influencers that really had, a, a, you know, an authentic connection with the brand, right? And not just because they had a gazillion followers, right? So, you know, I remember Kim Kardashian wanted to kind of us to host her party. We're like, Mm, no thanks <laughs> but then she ended up coming anyway so it was great so it's kind of you know so i think there has to be kind of you know it has to be reflective of your brand values right but i i, th- but I think it's true it is changing super quickly right 
And, um, you know, and now you have, you know, the world of TikTok and you have the world of, you know, so many influencers and micro influencers and nano influencers. <laughs> it's, it's, it's getting pretty hard to keep track, you know? Uh, all right. Do you want to tell us the hotel guy, the, the hotel expert, please? Do you want to tell us the best kept secret of hotels? Ooh, the best kept secret of hotels. Don't book through Expedia or OTAs. I think always book direct actually because you probably get as good of a deal and you you, know, you have more leverage that way to to get an upgrade right oh, and always actually be nice to the front desk person because they actually can give you an upgrade very very easily unlike on an airports or give you a call there you go <laughs> there you go all right so switching gears switching gears and we are gonna be quick here we have two people uh, one of them gives to inset, the, the other one doesn't, and both of them have a view on why they do things differently. So everyone knows I fundraise since graduation, and I'm passionate about this. But of course, in my fundraising, I often get the other argument of why not, because there are so many other causes out there and so many problems in the world. Fully agree. So... Why do you give? Why do you not give? In one minute, please. I'll, I'll start with why do I give? I think, you know, to be fair, I haven't given that much, right? And I think in, in, in how much Inset has contributed to my life, not necessarily my professional life, but definitely my, my life in terms of friends and, and connections, you know, I, I want to be able to make sure that, you know, the next generation has... Has, has the access and benefit and can benefit from it. I also actually recently have started to give, not necessarily monetarily, but contributing in in more in services and what I can do, right? So I the last couple of um, you know, so I've actually talked to some of the the INSEAD, uh, Singapore people to see if I can help give lectures because I actually, to be honest, like INSEAD shit at marketing, and the marketing curriculum is not great. Right. So to offer some actual real, you know, lived and, 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 and you know, and worked, and worked experience yeah. might be actually helpful for those who want to go into marketing after INSEAD, because what I learned at INSEAD didn't really help me in my marketing career. <laughs> but also I think, I think, I think actually contributing your, your functional expertise, right. To, to any kind of, philanthropic endeavor is good, right? And I, I've done that actually a lot in the last three years, not just to inside, but to other organizations as well. So I like that. Thank you. And the opposing view? And I would say it's opposing. It's just prioritization, right? Yeah. And I think for me, you know, unfortunately, I haven't found the right IPO startup to make the <laughs> um, So maybe I'd come from a different perspective if I were in that situation but I'm a huge sort of advocate on animal rights and they don't have a voice and so for me any extra I've been spending a lot of time with both with time and any sort of extra cash at helping out trying to educate trying to save you know trying to correct some of the animal cruelty that's out there 
And so that, that has been more my priority. I have to say I had a chance to work with Erin Meyer, who is currently, she was after us, but she came uh, into INSEAD and she's a professor of organizational behavior. She wrote a book, she co-wrote a book with Reed Hastings, my Netflix CEO. So I worked a bunch with her, which sort of re rewetted my appetite for INSEAD. And recently I've been doing some of the um, webcasts sessions and I found that some of those uh, super interesting. Just a note for people who are on the West Coast, they are always at like 1 or 3 a.m. and then getting the recording takes forever. So if we could improve that, that would be amazing. But, you know, in, until I, ha- I have more cash, then I would definitely, but like um, my co-guest mentioned, you know, the ability to lecture, share experience, all of that. I really don't think that we've we've done enough of that at INSEAD. I've gotten more um, approaches from UC Berkeley over here, you know, the Haas Business School to come and lecture there or UCLA or things like that. And I think there's a real missed opportunity there because I think there's, I love Sylvia's, you know, rant about getting more case studies, being more real time. I think there's there's a real way we can help. Yeah, I, academia moves at a different speed. I have seen, because I've been watching this at the whole 20 years, I have seen them change a lot, but academia moves slow. On the webcasts, do It doesn't allow- have to, though, Milena, is my point. They used to say that about entertainment, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. On the webcast, they now have lifelong learning, and they've launched this. And in this, it should become, so I'll edit into one of the newsletters because actually now it's easy. You, you log in and it's all there. So, and I started being a heavy user of the webcast during the pandemic. And in fact, sometimes when it's super good, I even go and pay 20 euro, 30 euro because I would pay it for a lecture, right? If I was doing it externally. So, but in any case, I highly recommend because there are topics, there's always a topic that would be of interest. Not everyone, not each and every topic, but quick round of questions. You want to take turns because otherwise it would become boring. So one answers one, the other one answers the second one. Sure. All right. You're in so charge. Proudest achievement, ladies. Okay. Uh, maybe for me. Yeah, I want that one. (laughs) We'll break the rules because we're rule breaker. Go on. For for me, my proudest achievement is actually having been able to change industries and 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 continents, kind of throughout the last twenty years. I think I'm on my kind of third, fourth, that's fourth one, right? And and every time being able to to kind of parlay that into doing something interesting that enriched my life. Thank you. And I'm going to break the rules and, and answer that one as well. I'd say my proudest achievement is staying married with <laughs> different addresses, seven different countries, you know, my, you know, work schedule, pretty, you know, I'm pretty proud of that. I like that. Success for you is? Being able to enjoy life beyond work. Okay, I see a nod from the other side, so I continue. Happiness is? Probably living in the now mm-hmm. um, and not sort of thinking too much about the future or the past, but actually appreciating the moment. Biggest regret? 
not living in the now. <laughs> <laughs> What keeps you awake at night or you sleep well? Coyotes. <laughs> I live up in the Hollywood Hills. They are real. <laughs> There you go. When I run out of Ambien. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wish you had known or someone had told you earlier. Be patient. Mm. Because you don't have to do everything at the now. For me, it's being graceful uh, of the things that are not meant for you and letting go of them. Mm. Being graceful and letting go of the things that are not meant for you. If you had to I do still it haven't learned that me. yet. <laughs> <laughs> But good tip. <laughs> oh, tattooed on my wrist for a reason. <laughs> If you had to do it all over again, what would you change? Mm, probably caring a little less. I, I yeah, I, I would agree with that, and maybe getting my dogs a little bit earlier. Oh. Retirement yeah. ever, never. Define retirement. No, you define it. Well, I think I think retirement as the traditional way we think about it, you know, is is something of the past, right? And I think. You know, I think the way we live, the way we work, is fundamentally different now. So I think is is retirement is now or never, right? So, uh, you know, I think you know we're always going to be doing something, right? I think that's just are not in our natures, right? And I think you can make an impact even if you don't have a nine to five job, right? Mm. So, mm. agreed. Yeah. Agreed. If you had, if you had to pick one book, and here I want both of you. Which one would you read or recommend? Yeah, which one should we read? What would you recommend? Go on. Do you have a favorite? I always read Anna Karenina just because I'm a romantic and I'm. <laughs> But I don't think that's actually what you want to hear. Why not? I have two. My my two favorites right now, and I think they're both great from like a humanity and a and a business. Actually gifted all of my uh, direct reports, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse, uh, which is a Charlie Maxey book. They, it's also, he did a short film of it, um, which is on Apple TV Plus, highly recommend. It makes me cry, um, but it's life lessons on kindness and empathy. And then my second, which is far more cerebral, is... Um, Steven Pinker's Enlightenment Now, which is the case for reason, science, humanism, and progress, which is brilliant, but tough to get through because it's very data intensive, but it's just a reminder that the world isn't getting worse as much as the geopolitics seem to make us feel that way on a daily, hourly basis, that actually we are in progress mode. I like it. And I do like Anna Karenina as an example. They do say... and. I'm guilty of that because I love reading uh, science and I love reading business books. I don't read enough of literature. And, you know, they say for creativity, we need to read more of the Anna Kareninans, etc. So it's totally fair game, if you ask me. Okay, most admired public person. I have two this time. Well, the experience, I, I do think Tim Cook is probably one of the most kind of creative, empathetic, visionary and quiet leaders out there, which I think is, you know, he doesn't really get enough credit for. Uh, 
And my second per- person, um, it's not really a joke, but it's Taylor Swift, who I think is awesome. <laughs> not just because I have the musical taste of a 14-year-old girl, but I do think she is, you know, quite a an incredible visionary businesswoman, right? Who's really upended, you know, the music industry and the entertainment industry and is fucking awesome. Can we, oh, sorry, can I say that? <laughs> it's not G-rated. Hmm. I'll, I'll take this. Maybe Beyonce more than Taylor for me, but it's <laughs> probably done more um, for people, but yeah. All right. Uh, most despised public person. Well, having recently moved back to the U.S. and having left when the then president was there, I mean, I, I try not to despise people, but that crazy orange man is just, but again, it's not, him, you know, it's not Trump. It's people supporters of it. So, you know, yeah. But they, there's a there's too long a list, unfortunately, right now. But that was going to be my answer as well, right? right. I think he has single handedly like lowered the tenor of global conversation, not just in the U.S. It's all the way over to where I am as well. Yep. So, mm. yeah. I think oh. that's the third one of your guests who said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, and the last one, are you coming to reunion? Who's coming to reunion? My ticket spot. There you go. My, my, I'm more seat of the pants. I'm hoping to have a role. I'm focusing on the role, and my deadline is there so that I can get on a plane and come over, but not, not committing yet. Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. I, have a, I have a spare room for you. <laughs> <laughs> All have, right. a, have a chat with my husband. All right. So listen, I can Mine's finally. Coming. <laughs> I can finally say these two were Daniel Crook Davis and Rob Chang, and the shocking I'm sorry, thing. I almost me, gave it away twice. That was really. I tried so hard. I think pretty Bob, much people knew after two seconds. And the best part of this is guys and girls, I keep, I do apologize. Yes. And people is that as I was sending them today, uh, the respective profiles from the yearbook, they told, well, Rob told me, but I wrote the one for Daniel and she wrote mine. So I tell you what, with other people, with other people, with with other people. people. Yes, yes, with other people. (laughs) But 20 years later, somehow. I didn't even remember writing Rob's, which was really embarrassing. Uh, It was Kathy who remembered. She's younger than I am. (laughs) Credit where credit's due. I managed to get them together on on a podcast, but it all started 20 years ago, and I'm very pleased with that. So thank you so much for making the time and for playing along. And thank you for organizing this, Milena. It's a huge endeavor. You've gotten us so organized, and Rob and I were talking about how worried we were to do this one after the first three you've already done because, (laughs) I mean, credit to, to those three. They were damn impressive so hopefully we mm. have we've kept somewhat of a good standard on it mm. well, Emilena, let me thank you on behalf of our class not just for this but for everything you do over the last 20 years you know of keeping us together keeping us connected keeping us inspired 
and harassing us without being harassing <laughs> and doing it with such charm and grace and success. Oh, so, well. Oh, well. Bravo my, and my thank pleasure. You. Thank you so much. You are listening to the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D Podcast Edition. It is my hope to remind everyone what an interesting and dare I say colorful bunch of people we are and how much we can contribute to each other, be it through ideas, knowledge or mere inspiration. The podcast is inspired by the original Republic of INSEAD yearbook produced on paper 20 years ago by Oliver Bradley and team. Thank you, Oli and team, for this contribution to our class's memory and for letting me continue in the tradition, title and inspiration included. Creator and author of the Republic of INSEAD 20 Years Later O3D Podcast Edition am I, Milena Ivanova. Original music by Peter Dundakov with help from Their Films Productions. Stay tuned for more and remember to book your tickets for the 20-year reunion in Fontainebleau, October 6th, 8th, 2023. Thank you for listening.